All right. So, so what I want to do this morning, or what is, what I want us to do is spend about four weeks, um, and I want us to kind of look at some things, and and mostly what I want to do this morning is kind of frame up about the last five hundred years of church history and talk about a few little anchor, you know, bookmark type points, um, and um, I'm going to do it pretty pretty generally just to try to make sure everybody's got sort of a at least somewhat similar framework just like um, some of the best bible studies um is when we go to scripture and we don't bring our biases or our our preconceived notations you know to to the table um and we look at the text for what it says and so that's what i want to do is kind of give some historical dates um if you mr wayne um was adding a few things about the baby boomer generation and stuff that, that i wasn't very familiar so we we have some different age groups here um so so where you can add jump in and add but but we want to get kind of a working sort of timeline i did add this on on this morning a historical timeline i may update it on the website as we go along but um, but basically for the for super simple, um, super simple math or just some anchor thinking, I want us to just basically um, consider the Protestant Reformation at approximately 1500, the first great awakening at 1750. And then some people acknowledge two awakenings. Some people acknowledge three awakenings. Some people acknowledge four. I'm going to speak about the time frames of all four of those, just so that we know if someone says in the fourth great awakening, we kind of know what time frame and what general events that they're talking about. Um, but but we had the Protestant Reformation, the first great awakening in 1750, and um, and we're in 2000 would be another 250 years. So that's that's sort of the 500 years of history. And then we are I'm just going to go ahead and generally round up and say we were 25 years into the I guess that'd be considered the 21st century. So the century that we're living in now, we're 20, we're 25 percent about through that one. And so we'll we'll as a third part kind of look at what's happened in the last 20 years and, and where we're where we're at. Um you know, I've heard it said before, if you if you don't learn from history or, or how do they say it? They say uh, if you don't learn from history, you'll, you'll repeat it. I, I guess I'm saying that the right way. But but the idea is that that there is value in knowing your history. Um, when you see certain situations, you say we've tried this before. We have did that before. And I, I wouldn't I wouldn't say that you lose, lose all creativity or all um, ability to overcome um, and, and sometimes we have too much pride. We think we can overcome. We can be the generation that does something that other generations were not able to do. So um, it's, it's at least worth considering the past and what the people before you have tried and done. Um, I was talking to a little guy last night and he was talking about jujitsu, karate. Um, he's all into that. And he said about every five years, you've got to change your game. And I asked him how old he was. He said, I'm 21. And and I told him, I said, well, I said, what you'll find when you get more like 50 is that a lot of times these cycles just keep repeating themselves. We have a scripture from that out of Ecclesiastes where he says there's nothing new under the sun, um, you know, that keeps coming around. Also scripture that says um, no, we've, we none of us have been tempted more than that what's common a man. And so we always 
have the pride in us that wants to be like, we're the only ones that have ever done this. We're the only ones that ever been through this, you know, these kind of things. But as you study history more, um, those uh, blinders are ripped away and you realize people have been through some really, really tough things and they've made it out of it. People have had great prosperity and it's been taken away from them, all these different types of things. So um, I'm going to just start off real quick. Um, the big picture, um, the, 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 the reformation um, I, I'll in any of y'all, if y'all want to throw some comments in there, but, but just in the reformation, um, in 1517, uh, Martin Luther um, put up the thesis, which was about indulgence. And at the same time, the um, whatever the Wittenberg or Gutenberg press, but the printing press was um, was made. And um, it was the first time a document had been massively um, produced and translated um, in a in a native language. And that's really kind of what started the Reformation going. Um, any any thoughts of um and just, I guess, a, a consensus. How many of you have studied the Reformation? Um, I, I mean, how many would you say I'd, I'm interested in the Reformation? I've studied a little bit. I've learned, you know, any any thoughts about the Reformation? Yeah, I've, I've studied it uh, a good bit. And some of the a lot of the reformers of the church and what they believed and the debates that went on. Dennis, I know years ago what kind of kicked that off is when we read Martin Luther's uh, book bondage of the will. Uh, but even then like different podcasts, like five minutes in church history, a lot of time they'll talk about the reformers. Um, yeah. So there's, there's a lot of rich stuff, what they were, what they were um, restoring. I, I don't want to say restore what they were reforming the church back to how it had drifted, uh, you know, away for, you know, a thousand years essentially. And then, getting back to what the true beliefs were. Yeah. I, I wrote in the notes, they reclaimed the gospel. I've heard that phrase before. And then, um, and to be fair, um, there was a lot of corruption in the Catholic church. Um, the, the people had, had become super uneducated um, about scriptures and were just trusting in the church to give them the right answers. And the church leaders, um, a lot like when you read in the Gospels, the Pharisees um, were kind of oppressing. They they were really doing some pretty wicked things um, at that time, um, and and it was beneficial for them to keep the people uneducated. Um, I actually think in in our modern day we see a a a, a result of that where um, where the minister leaders try to keep the people uneducated and just kind of like. Um, puppets following them um you know so that's that that that's one thing um but indulgences you know i, I want to say this phrase and and just in general terms is that with indulgences which was what the 95 thesis was about 95 concerns and problems about indulgences um in in one sense it was it was making the people that that you had the authority to lead in a spiritual way. It was making them believe that they could buy their salvation or that they could buy someone else's salvation. And so that that's pretty much at the peak of wickedness. And um, so we see Martin Luther um, be risen up along with some other reformers risen up to deal with that. So any other thing? Um, I know, like, I think I've talked to Paul about this before, but I remember one time just having a, a feeling come on me 
I was trying to be a good Christian and had a feeling come on me. And I was like, I really don't know nothing about Martin Luther other than he's probably important. And um, there's a movie out there. I'll make sure I send that link out to you. Um, I have to see what means it's in, but there's a movie that does a great job talking about Luther's life and his, his dealing with the Catholic church. That's pretty eye opening if you've never seen it before, but that's a good place to start with, um, getting familiar with what the reformation was about. Um, any thoughts, Paul, or on the reformation? I read, I read, uh, I read like a couple of books. I read Eric McTaxis this book on Martin Luther. Um, so I can't say I really researched it and all, but I know I know a lot of the basics and all. But something that's pretty interesting that somebody was talking about this the other day, and somebody said they had read this uh, book, and he was saying that, you know, when he was uh, hiding out in that, in that uh, it was one of the land barons, kind of up in a tower where he stayed, and he was praying and doing all this stuff, and they said that he was just under these incredible spiritual you know, spiritual attacks where drawers would be open and shut and doors would be open and shut and stuff where, the, you know, Satan was definitely trying to uh, thwart him from moving forward in this direction and all. So, yeah. so the, the, the next idea is, uh, is the first and the second great awakening and the most conservative historians, um, that's about all they consider the first and the second great awakening. Um, it's the more charismatic or, or um, liberal um, theologians that'll bring in the third great awakening and um, and the fourth great awakening. Um, but what I would say is that the time frame of the of the second great awakening is can be as early as 1790 all the way with the third great awakening. Um, I'm putting these two together to 1930. So almost a hundred years, that whole um, 19th century is, is kind of influenced by what they're terming the second and the third great awakening. Um, and so I'll, I'll kind of lay that out a little bit, how that's kind of a lot of the conservative um, historians will say um, the second great, they'll kind of put the third great awakening in with the second, second great awakening and call it kind of like part one, second great awakening part two. So the third great awakening makes sense that some people would do that. The fourth great awakening pretty much comes up with, with Billy Graham and the baby boomer generation um, from like, um, the date on that is, let me get my thing to work, um, is, is, is 1860 to, or, or 1960 to 1980. So that, that baby boomer generation, I was born in 74. So pretty much when I was a baby, that kind of deal. Um, I don't know why this thing is acting weird on me, but, um, so, so let's look at the first great awakening. Some of the, some of the, the, um, so first great awakening, 730, 1730 to 55 was, um, sort of the date. I didn't write it down, but if you, how many of you have read, um, um, if I could say it, I ain't centers in the hand of an angry guy. Um, anybody know anything about that book? I never read it. I'm aware of it, but that's Edwards, right. Yeah, so that's Jonathan Edwards, and that's what a lot would say sparked the uh, 
the um, first great awakening. Um, it was a message that Edwards had preached um, before and it didn't have much response, but he, he said, maybe I can refine it. I still think there's something there. And basically what happened is there was a, 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 a panel of preachers that were going to pre preach it at a, at a location and something worked out. Um, I don't even think Edwards was planning to, to preach on that. And he winds up preaching and he did it again. And it was responded with um, great, great level of repentance. Um, the conservative historians, um, what they would say is the difference between the first great awakening and the second great awakening is that the first great, great awakening had a lot of self-control to it, a lot of um, restraint, um, where the second great awakening was, a was an explosion of emotionalism. I don't, I don't want to say that in a way that that's too harsh, but, but the, the general idea, when you look at these two awakenings, was was um I like to think about Braveheart if 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 any of you um watch that movie there's a battle scene and um they they send the horses in there to tackle to 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 uh, fight the 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 cavalry basically because they don't have no horses well they had got this innovative idea to make some long poles with a, a a spike on it and they sat it down at their feet and when the horses came they lifted it up and um. And and they 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 were able to deal with the people on the horses, but one of my favorite lines there is all this all these horses are racing straight at you, and you've got a plan and you think your plan is going to work, but it takes a great deal of of resolve to to hold tight. And he's telling them wait wait wait, and I just love that scene. And so what they're saying is in the first great awakening that um, when people would want to spring forth in some praise God or, or whatever have you, they, they would kind of say, all right, be quiet, you know, listen to the Lord. And, and what it did was it, it made a very authentic, like you would think that's the wrong thing to do, but what it did was it made a very authentic refining fire where it generated a great deal of repentance um, uh, and, and and so on and so forth, where the opposite of that was or sort of the difference of that was a second great awakening. Um, they were like, yeah, that looks great. That looks great. And so it kind of created, you know, when you, you know, sometimes the Catholics will criticize Protestantism of, of having so many denominations that if you don't like the, what this one person says, so you go to another denomination or another church and, and things like that. Well, the second great awakening kind of portrayed that um, much of the denominations and much of the uh, the movements and ideas um, came out of the second great awakening because there sort of wasn't no restraint. And so sort of disunity came out of it instead of unity. Um, it was still what people felt like was a move of God, but it was it was more of a, a spiritual move that that didn't have the framework and the leader. I want to say one way they say it is um, the, the pastors that led the first great awakening were very scholarly and educated. Um, the ones in the second great awakening were essentially just, you know, they just weren't, weren't as educated. They weren't as committed to, to, to certain um, orthodox anchors that are, that are there. So, so the reason I make that point, is just so that when you're researching either one of those things, you kind of keep that in mind. Is this is what I'm saying? Is it true or is it not true? 
One of the other things that's important is so America was created in 1776. And a lot of people think that America um, was a Christian is a Christian nation. It was founded on Christian principles. Um, and you see some reasons for that. But I think what's interesting, and I heard a, a good scholar on this, is the word deism. If you study deist or deism, um, what they would say is a lot of the, of, of America was follower was founded on on, on on from deist. And basically, two things about deist is deist is kind of uh, or deism is kind of like God set all the things in motion, and then he he kind of winded up the clock, and he 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 gave it over to the people, you know, to steward it. And if they steward it right, then it's all going to work out. If they don't steward it right, it's not going to work out. Um, so deism is not theism, where God is personal, where He is in, in involved in creation, engaged in creation. He's kind of He's kind of distant. But what one of the key thoughts of, of of deism that's important is that that morals are good for culture. So one of the things I see, um, I think I pointed out when we're looking at the Reformation, one of the things that I take away from the Reformation is that the problem of that day that had to be addressed by the Christians that God was rising up was the uneducated of the laity. I think we have that problem today. I think we have some uneducated people um, in our churches today, and that needs to be be changed. Um, but when I speak about this deism or, or deist, um, one of the things is, is we have what I believe is sort of a cancer in the social gospel and, and different things of that nature. But this idea of deism that morals are good for community. It's good for the system. Um, if I've been watching the daily wire and there's a few people on there, um, um, what's the guy, Matt Walsh is one of them. He just did one, um, that is, uh, what is a woman now? How, and then people hate him and want to kill him. And now how in a world can we live in a world where someone just goes around asking people the simple question, what is a woman? Nothing more fancy that fancier than that, and people want to kill him. Um, and and some of these people, I, I, I was talking to my wife about this. Three people I want you to think about: Donald Trump, um, who's the guy that just did bought Twitter, um, Tesla guy, um, what's his name? Elon Musk. Elon Musk. Tucker Carson is another one. These are all people that have never come out to say that they're Christians or come out with their faith. Candace Owens is, is another one. She's kind of tossed. She don't know if she's a Protestant or a or Catholic or whatever. But these people, what they do, and Matt Walsh said it best in some of the stuff I heard him say, is he said, um, they said, why does this matter to you? So we have a world out there, a secular world out there that is for everything that's against God. And when someone like and, and Matt Walsh is not coming like as 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 a godly person in a sense. He, but they said, why does this matter to you? And he said, because the truth matters to me. And so one of the things that I realized that we have in common with Catholics, I think there's some very differences that we have when it comes to how someone is saved and what Christ has done. But one of the things we have in common is that we care about truth. And that was what this nation, I think, ultimately was found, founded under, under deism, is that 
caring about our kids' education, caring about safety, caring about marriage, caring about family. Those are all things that at a common level, we should all care about and we should all fight for. Um, and, and if you ever see someone like considering leaving the Catholic church or, or what makes that so difficult, if you ever see um, people converted into Catholicism because of marriage, their whole system is about is about is about family in a sense that that we are the church we stick together all this kind of thing so my point is learning from history one of the things that we need to know is 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 doing moral things um because it's good for community is not doing gospel things that those are a, a, a two different things so if we had a primary bucket that would be gospel issues. That would be eternal life issues. But we do have to live in this world. And if morals and values are thriving, that are in step with God's word as a second bucket, that is going to be good for society. So when we look at the text and it says, love God with all your heart, mind, body, and soul, and love others as you would love yourself, we're talking about a primary bucket and a secondary bucket. And so what we can learn is America thrived by doing very well with a secondary bucket. But but it's always every generation, the church to steward that primary bucket, which is the gospel. And I, I, I like to remind myself sometimes of Acts 6, 1 through 6, I believe. It might be 1 through 9. But it's that scene where the people come with a hands and feet problem to the apostles and they say these widows are being treated unfairly and and peter says i think in verse six there he says i cannot forsake the word of god to to wait on tables that's what he says there and 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 a lot of the modern day thing was like well peter's got wrong theology there he's messed up there but what i see is that he's he's refusing to let culture pull him away from the primary bucket of the gospel and the word of God, because he knows it all hinges on that. And, and, and he, but, but he did, they did do something extremely wise there. They said, find up people that are full of the spirit and we'll delegate them to take care of this matter. And it's, it says something like, and the people were, they thought that was good the way he decided that. Um, and so we do do both. We do reach out to the community. So what I find that we see over church history is we see people so worried about the community or this world, they forget about the world to come. They forget about where they're coming and they forget about the gospel. And I think as you compare the first great awakening, you know, you see this real um, commitment to that first bucket, that, that gospel and that repentance and that um, those kind of things. But then as you follow out the revival, second and third um, um, awakening, you know, revival through the through the um, 1800s, you see like things like women's getting the right to vote. You see things like slavery being abolished. And so you see certain cultural, social movements um, that happen that are that are important to our society. But you also see 
so many denominations um, um, springing forth and out. And, and so like nowadays we have, you have your truth, I have my truth. You sort of see that as you read the story of the history of the eight, of the 19th century, you see, um, well, I don't like the way you worship God. I'm going to go develop a group of people that think like me and we're going to make our own way. And so you see sort of this lack of unity of making sure the word, if you ever, we never did this. We try to do it a while back, but if you, um, if you ever look at any of the confessions and creeds and you study that, one of the things that I admire about confessions and creeds is it took a lot of work for these people to do that. Um, you, you know, every time we talk about something, we have the potential to say, I don't think I agree with that, you know, but what does the word say? So what is your unifying bill? What does the gospel say? What is Christ? So when you bring your ideas, um, every thought captive to the, you know, to the word of God, to Christ, you find unity where there was no unity. And so I think that's the difference with the first and second great awakening is one, they, 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 as they felt the spirit, they, they restrained their self to create a deep unity on the truths and the, the principles that mattered most to God. Um, the second great awakening was just a flow of, of the spirit. There's you can do a research called the burned over district, which was up in New York area. And basically they had so many radical, crazy ideas of spirituality that basically people said, what, what, what do we believe? Because there was too many contradicting things. And so that shows the value of, of what they were trying to accomplish in the first great awakening. Um, moving on a little bit is these, these two things, has anyone ever heard of uh, the Millerites? The what? The Millerites. Have you ever heard of the Millerites? I've seen it. I've seen it in a book, you know, mentioned in books before, but I've never, I'm not, I couldn't tell you exactly what movement that was. So if, so the second great, great awakening was, um, say this date I, I pulled up was 1790 to 1840, but around 1800, 1820 might be narrowing it down a little bit, but, um, but, but as the second great awakening had about 20 years or 15 years of movement, then what happened in like 1830 was actually two, actually three things. Um, they, th this Millerite movement move, movement was happening. The, the Mormons was, was getting a thing going on and dispensationalism was, was, you know, under some people will argue that dispensationalism has been around forever. There's no real solid evidence of that, but if you just, search dispensationalism it'll be john nelson darby or you can search john nelson darby and um john nelson darby i think was was born in his life was 1800 to 1880 or something like that and um but but anyway this date i think is kind of interesting around 1830 you had um you started to have people uh, fixate or focus in on um Revel the book of Revelation and the return of Christ and things like that. And they begin to have some different ideas up to this point. 
Um, it was a historical view. You can research that. Um, and it was, um, and it was post-millennial was kind of the, the, the thought. Um, but, but it, in 1930, these new ideas of how the book of revelation was, was going to unfold, begin to happen. And I'm just saying that because it leads to our next point, the Millerite movement, um, in 1831, um, I wrote the guy's name, but it's it's basically his name is Miller. I forgot his first name, but he began to predict that he began to predict Christ's return. Um, and you know, you got the 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 scripture where Christ says, "No one knows the the day or the hour except for the Father." Um, you also have him saying, "If someone says he's over here, if he's over there, don't follow them." When the when he comes you will know because it'll be like lightning from the east to the west. Um, and then the other thing is like just what we read in John, it said, um, it says, my sheep know my voice. They will follow me and they will not follow a stranger. And you don't know my, vo you know, my voice because um, you're not my sheep. Um, you know, there's the idea that John talks about many false um, people will rise and give. So you got to be careful when people start speaking their end time views about them knowing when Christ is going to return or where he's going to return at. Because if you are a sheep of God, you should know. He says, you'll know the seasons and the times you should know. Um, and, and if, if you don't know your concern ought to be more about your salvation than about following someone that says they know. Um, but, but in this, um, the Millerite movement predicted in 1844 that Jesus was going to return and, um, and basically it didn't happen. It was the great disappointment, but from this period of time, from 1830 to 1844, it began to get all this traction and everybody was looking to that. My point, I'm, I'm laboring in this too much. My point is, is um, Ellen G. White, um, who is the founder of the Seventh-day Adventist movement, she was involved in this. And also Russell, I didn't write his name down either, um, but, but let's see. I read it here. Um, um, Charles Taze Russell, he um, he uh, in 1970, and I'll send you a video. You can listen to this a little bit more depth. But in 1970, um, he started the Jehovah's Witness. So from the Millerite movement and their view. Um, of end times and, and the excitement that happened and the great disappointment. He predicted Christ to come back in 1844. It came and gone and it, and it didn't appear that Christ returned. And so what they did, what the Jehovah's witness said is that they basically the seventh day Adventist and the Jehovah's witness started re um, interpret, interpreting what Miller had said about this 1844 and you get these other denominations, seven day Adventist and Jehovah's witness. If we come back to the um, 1830s, that's where Joseph Smith, he's in the burned over district and he is saying, which religion is right. God tells him by his testimony that none of them were right. And he creates, he goes and finds some books and interprets them. And, um, and we've got the book of Mormon and so you have that. So Mormon Seventh-day Adventist and Jehovah's Witness, this is kind of their root and 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 kind of what's happened from 1930 to 19, 
to 70 or something like that. Um, hey, Dennis, uh, jo- Joseph Smith predicted, uh, you know, that Christ would return uh, in 87, 1887, I believe. And that's written in some of his works. Um, and that that's why they're called the Latter-day Saints. They, they felt that we were in these last days. So them, the Jehovah's Witness, like you were saying, eschatology was a big driver in their in their false religions. Uh, that Christ was going to come back and that you need to follow us, you know, kind of, kind of deal. Right. And so we'll talk, we'll talk more about all those, those little things, but, but just today we're just trying to accomplish the historical part of it. And so there's a lot happened there in the 19th century, the 1800s there. And, um, and then actually when you look at Pentecost charismatic, as we know it today, that's only about a hundred year old religion. It, it started, um, you know, with a revival there in California in 1906 and 1908. Um, and then the fourth great awakening um, really falls around a couple of events. You know, the baby boomer generation, Billy Graham's preaching um, and and the postmodern era. Um, one of the things to think about with, with, with going from m- the modern era to the po- postmodern era, you see sort of the same kind of deal that you saw with the first great awakening and the second great awakening is you see, um, but it's in a secular, it's, a, it's instead of in a faith movement or religious movement, it's in a secular movement or a spiritual, it's, a, it's in a, a worldly movement. And um, but what what you see is so science comes in and it actually science in the Enlightenment period begin to shame a lot of the uh, the Christians because they didn't know they didn't have answers. They had already believed always believed what the scriptures had said, but they they didn't have good answers for some of these things that the the sciences was bringing to the table. And um, and so anyway, um, the. Uh, when we when we start this postmodern era, it's it's a change from logic to emotions, and so we see like the baby boomer generation. I just want to be free, and the hippies and stuff like that, and 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 we've seen that um, just go the divorce rate going up, the way we raise children, um, you know, this whole craziness of transgender and all this kind of stuff that's going on now. Um, all of that, you just see this is the results of postmodernism. And so when you look from the baby boomer generation to where we're at now, you see both, you see it in the secular world, but you also see it in the church world. So these, these ideas of, of, of when should we be cons- you know, conservative? When should we have liberal ideas? Like, um, I'll give you an example. Like some people would, would talk pretty negative about fundamentalism in the church deal. Well, that would be a conservative idea, but that would be where someone is saying you've went too far going conservative. Um, but, but I think in the seeker friendly mega churches of our day, you can see, um, you know, th- there's a lot of things out there that you can you can consider, but 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 just uh, I heard a guy say talking about you guys know Stephen Furtick, but I I, I heard a guy that was a, a Elevation Church. He was evaluating him the other day, and in, I think he said in an hour sermon he cut 36 jokes, and he was talking about that. My point being is how emotional are we going to get? What 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 when is it? 
when is it too far? When do we need to be serious and actually hold, accept that we're a pastor, accept that we're a teacher and do it with God's word, with his gospel principles and with what we know to be true instead of playing mystical games and that kind of thing. Um, so um, Billy Graham just showing how he kind of played in a role. Most people see Billy Graham in a positive light. Um, Paul sent me a video a while back. I'd have to go back and see it. We can, we can throw that into the, 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 the list of things to look at. But um, from what I understand, Billy Graham was never actually faithful to a local church or supporting a local church. He was an evangelist, always on the circuit. He did preach the gospel, but he also was about um, tearing down denominations and just kind of like, um, you know, your, your salvation is all that, you know, all that matters, you know, and that all denominations can be saved. So he didn't really have a very commitment to the, to sort of the logical or the structure side of a church. I, as far as I'm aware, he never said get connected in a local church, you know, and, and I, if I'm wrong, I'm wrong. But, but those are some of the critiques that are out there about him. That's consistent with the critiques of a postmodern era. But what does that mean for us today? Um, I put in 2000 America's last plea. Um, I've seen a few resources, but one guy in 2000 said, I think it's too late for America. Um, Another good book uh, in 1990, um, John MacArthur wrote a book called Not Ashamed of the Gospel, I believe was the name of it. Um, I can I can verify that, make sure. But but in 1990, he was in this book, he was saying that people were ashamed of the gospel. And I think people had to laugh at him because I don't think we thought that. But 30 years later, I think if you can't see that a lot of professing Christians are ashamed of the gospel and want to call church everything but proclaiming the gospel. Um, it's almost prophetic what he wrote in that book in 1990. But there were some warnings, you know, saying this one in 1990 from 2000, there were some warnings that America needed to come back to God and repent or it was going to be too late. Um, what we're facing, what we faced over the last 25 years as a parent I was looking at this. Um, well, I'll, I'll, I'll wrap up because Paul's going to slip out of here. But, but um, over the rate, so I've raised two kids where we had what I call analog world, where the digital age had not really hit yet. All the social media, the cell phones, and all that kind of stuff, the iPads, and um, and I have two kids that that's all they've they've known. And just looking at how that is affected us as a lifestyle is is pretty important i think if we're going to evangelize and discipleship um and disciple effectively in our day and if our church needs to come back to some basic simple principles you have to understand the cloud that digital things bring it brings um it brings such a fast pace. One of the ways an old saying that I had as a kid that you guys will probably be familiar is the idea there's there's too many chiefs and not enough Indians. I mean, that was something my grandpa would say. When we, it's like, this is a hot mess. We got too many chiefs and not enough Indians. And and my grandpa was the type, he's like, y'all just need to shut up and just you do that, you do that, let's get it done, you know? And, and that's what we have in the digital world is everybody has a voice. A 20-year-old thinks he's a brilliant scholar, you know, from whatever, because he did a couple Google searches or whatever have you. And so... 
what we face is is a, a group of people that have lived a lot of analog um, cultural life, you know, all prior to the cell phone and stuff. But but the cell phone has really got popular 2005, 2008. So we've also lived a lot in the digital life. What we have to do in our church age is is to to navigate through that. Pray about it. Go, you know, Paul, I didn't mention it, but Paul said that their senior pastor is stepping down and they're praying for 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 new leadership. But 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 we 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 are the leaders in the church of our day in our culture in a sense, and we have to f- seek God and see how do we navigate through these things as we familiarize familiarize ourselves with these these moments in church history. We have to be a people that say, okay, they got this right, but this was wrong. But, you know, like like if you take the second grade awakening and all the things, the accomplishments they made for the, the culture in that, I think they were wrong in terms of the gospel. And they came up with some crazy ideas about end times and about the gospel. But they did some stuff. But in the first grade awakening, there was some great um, commitment to the gospel, but there wasn't some things done. Church attendance after the great awakening was like 20 people in a, in a regular local church. So it wasn't just exploding, you know, the churches. And there were some reasons for that, but we keep these ideas in mind. We do love God with all our heart, mind, body, and soul, but we love each other as we love ourselves. And I always think about Paul. Paul's always, since I've always known him, he's always made an emphasis about the John 15 text that that about the vine that apart from him you cannot do nothing and i think sometimes we get caught up in our cultural social movements at different times meaning well and we're trying to finish in the flesh what was started in the spirit the power to do these great social uh, movements is is given to us by god it is given to us by us being connected to the to the vine and so uh anyway all of this to say we have some challenges before us. There's a lot of work to do, and we can be excited about putting our hands to the plow and getting involved. And so my point of walking through history, there's a tremendous amount of churches that do not teach church history um, to people. And I think that's a disservice to the people that they're leading. Um, church history should be something that's soundly um, taught from. And, and what I'll say, if you see differences of church history, just keep in mind, conservatives are going to say one thing, liberals, are, that's always the case. We see that in positive and, and um, in politics. And in the church is the same way. If, if you want to say you're a prophet and that you speak in tongues and you can heal people and you can name it and claim it, you're going to fall in the, in the um, liberal um, side of church history. You're, you're going to, you can tell when someone's trying to make history justify what they want to say, just like you can tell when someone's trying to make scripture justify what they want to say. So anyway, Paul, I know you got to get going. Um, any final, any, any thoughts, um, corrections or any, anything of that, that I said that you disagreed or agreed or. No, just go ahead and send that out. Send that thing out. Is it, is it the thing that, uh, we talked about before that goes through all those different, through um what's the um so i've i've went through well over 100 hours of church history so i'm going to send a few things out and we'll try to unpack those but 
But but look at this outline. Um, you can um, I'll I'll send you a few links out. But like um, you can research some of these things. I mean, we shouldn't be getting our theology from Wikipedia or Google, but but they're not that far off. They at least get your ideas thinking about what was the Reformation about, what was the Great Awakening about, and and some of these things that I said. You'll you'll at least pick some of them. But hey, look, like I said, if you get the if you get the 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 liberal um history. Are the are the you at least getting somewhere closer, and we can come together and talk about some of those things. Um, my goal of this series, like I said before, is we are going to look starting next week. We'll look a little bit at some of the 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 key ideas of some of these um, thoughts that came up in the eighteen hundreds and stuff, and see how some of those things are playing out even today. And so, anyway, I'm sorry I cut you off. Um, Anybody else? Mike, Jeff, Mike never never heard Mike, so I guess he was just listening in. But uh, Jeff, you got anything before we jump out? Nope. Looking forward to it. I think uh, it's good good overview, and I I couldn't agree with you more on church history. Um, uh, it's good to know where we've come from before we know where we're going as a as a church. Okay. Mr. Anything before we jump out? Thank you, Phil. You looking at Mr. Wayne? Anything? Just a prayer that we all we all focus on what we we that we will teach each other what the perfect church, what God's intended church should should be, and mm -hmm. seek that as an actual goal. It may not be possible, but at least if we all have one goal in mind, that's to find the perfect church that God intends to have on this earth before He comes back. Yeah. We'll. we'll, we'll Get somewhere anyway. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm gonna close this in prayer this morning, dear Lord. I just thank you for this time, Lord, and um, we just we can't do nothing without you, Lord. And um, uh, man, you 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 just can correct our mistakes. You can just guide our path, and we just ask you to do that for us, Lord, as we um try to inform ourselves more about church history and see the the relativeness. And as Mr. Wayne was just saying, Lord, we we want to. We want to know what you have for our lives. We want to know what you have for our nation, for our community, our families. Um, we we have so many questions um, with all the ideas that are so rampantly out there today. And Lord, we need we need we need you to guide us. We need you to be the good shepherd and guide us through those things, so that we can in love talk to um, to to people that that are have cloudy minds um, and bring clarity. Um, and do it for ourselves, Lord. And we also, Lord, we need to be people that know the truth and 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 can spot um, falsehood where it is, and um and, and and in some cases, not just be the nice guy that that um lets anything go. That we would stand up and fight for what's right. We just ask all this in Jesus' name, Amen. Amen. All right, guys. My I had to cut off because my dog was starting to bark on us. I thought <laughs> thought that would be weird. I hate it when things interrupt prayer, prayer, right? Well, all right. Well, y'all have a good week. Uh, there's two on the website. There's two two links up there, and I'll I'll update some of that, and I'll I'll give y'all a follow up text, let you know um, some of the links and stuff I added. Hey, send that one from uh, that long series. I think we talked about it before. I I watched it a lot on Right Time Media. I think it was a guy from Ligonier Ministries. Start, he started he started at the i mean on, on right now media they have like probably 80 30 40 minute things and it starts from 
you know, the, a 